How many believes in divine interruptions? Well, I've had a divine interruption. I'm going to tell you what I was going to say, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say much about it. My title that uh, the teaching team gave me was uh, the scriptures, chapter 23 and chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. And I was going to tell you today, I was calling this sermon the making of a king. The making of a king. And so we have four weeks to get ready for the next sermon, each, each one. And uh, this theme kept going over and over in my mind because we're, we're studying about David. And David is, uh, he is a king that in a lot of his ways, we're beginning to get a picture of our king of kings, and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And... Uh, David, you know, he killed the giant, and uh, that's a big day. We always talk about the day he killed the giant, right? What people don't tell you, after he killed the giant for 10 years, he ran for his life. The enemy was on his heels at all times. We get to chapter 23, and that's what's happening. King Saul is closing in on David. And... Uh, I did want to tell you, uh, when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against the Keilah, and they're looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord. I love that about David. If you're going to be one of God's kings, you're going to have to learn to, uh, you're going to, have to, learn to call on the Lord. And David did. He called on the Lord because Saul was trying to kill him. And Saul was king, he was the people's king, and David was God's king. He was, David was going to be, he hadn't been put in office yet, but David was anointed to be the king. And, uh, and the Lord answered him when he prayed, and he said, go attack the Philistines. See, the enemy likes to come, and about the time you get the harvest ready, and you, you, you've got the harvest ready to bring in. You've done all the work. You've planted all the seeds. You've uh, pulled all the weeds. About the time the, the harvest is about to come in, the enemy wants to come in and take your harvest right off the threshing floor. Well, the enemy's been doing the same thing in our world for a long time. Parents that tried to raise their kids, not perfect because there's no perfect parents, but about the time they get their kids raised, the enemy comes in and he tries to steal your kids, steal your harvest, your seed. And uh, the Lord answered him, said, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, uh, here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistines? They could have took the attitude, well, those people decided to live on the border. You ever lived in the border, on the border a little bit in your life? You're living just as close to the world as you possibly can and still have one foot in where you can call yourself a Christian. I'm going to tell you, if you live on the border, you're a lot easier prey for the enemy. These people, David could have said, well, when they located, they shouldn't have located near the border because the enemy, it's so easy for them to just step over and attack them and take their, their harvest. But David said, Lord, if you want me to go down there, I'll go down there. But his men, his men were concerned. Their, their men said, well, 
I don't know if we should or not. We've already got, we've already got Saul against us, and he's got a, a huge army, and then we'll have the Philistines against us. And so after his men had some reservation about him going, once again, David inquired of the Lord. That's what kings do, godly kings. And he told him to go down. And I'll just tell you the story, but, you know, Saul went crazy and killed all the priests except one. That priest came to David, and he had the ephod. Remember that? We read about it in the Old Testament. It was, uh, people believed it was like two stones, one being like a black stone and one being a white stone. And he would put it in his priestly garments, and they would ask him a question, ask him a question. He reaches in, he pulls out, and one would mean yes, and the other would mean no. It was simply, and so when you, when you can tell that's going on is when, how David asked these simple questions. He asked, uh, David learned that Saul was plotting against him. He said, bring the ephod. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender, to, surrender uh, me to him? And so he done the ephod, reached in, and, it's, and he pulled it out, and it said, he will. Even though you go down and you deliver these people, and you set these people free, those people, because of the fear of Saul, they're going to deliver you up. Again, David asks, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me? Uh, first he said, will, will Saul come down as your servant has heard? And he said, yeah, Saul's coming. He said, David asked again, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And he said, they will. And we get down to the latter part, uh, but his friend Jonathan, Jonathan came down to David. And, uh, and Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. He said, don't be afraid, he said, my father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be a second to you. Even my father, Saul, knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. That covenant word there means it was the cutting of the covenant. What they did, they took a knife and they cut it across their palm. And uh, they would then take, and David would cut his palm, and Jonathan would cut his palm, and they would grab hands. And you, it's, we get the term, the term today, deal. I want to cut a deal with you. Well, that was cutting and a handshake, and their blood would mix. And from that point on, you notice Jonathan took off his robe. He took his belt, his loins. He took his sword, and he laid it down at the feet of David. In other words, all that I am, I surrender you. And, uh, and they made this promise. They made this promise that, uh, that David, if he, like Jonathan said, becomes king, Jonathan said, I ask that you would take care of all my seed hereafter. My, my children, my, my grandchildren, I want, you to, I want you to be good to my seed. Because it was normal when a king took place, he killed off all the threats of future kings that might would come up. Jonathan is asking him, he said, I know my father's not going to be the king very much longer. David, you're going to be the king. I want, to, I want to cut a deal with you. And so David made a blood covenant with Jonathan that his offspring would make it. 
and uh, that he would always be good to them. Well, David later on does become king, and David asks, he said, is there any of Jonathan's family left? And they said, yeah, there's one, and his name is Mephibosheth, and he lives in Lodabar. And, and David said, go get, go get him. And so Lodabar, I mean, Mephibosheth feels like that they finally located him. He's a crippled man. Uh, as they were fleeing the, the, the city when he was a child, he failed off the horse from the, the nurse that was taking care of him, and he broke both legs. He was broken. He was broken. He was in a desert place. He was in a rejected place. He was uh, trying to hide out because he, in his opinion, David was going to try to kill him. But David locates him, and they sent a servant out, and that servant's going to get and, and to locate Mephibosheth. said, bring him to the king's table. Bring him to the king's table because I want to bless him. I want to help him. Uh, matter of fact, uh, so they bring him in, and, and, and Mephibosheth thought that he was going to be killed. And, and David's probably thinking, I don't even know the guy. But David was probably looking down at the scar in his palm. And he was, he was probably thinking, I'm not doing this for you, Mephibosheth. I'm doing this for Jonathan. See, your seed was in Jonathan. And then your children's seed. And so I have made a covenant, blood covenant promise that out of all your seed that I would be, I would show my loving kindness to. And so that blood, the blood covenant, when we get the, the Bible, the Old Testament means the Old Covenant, and we get to the New Testament means the New Covenant. Well, my friend, there's one greater than David. That's Jesus Christ. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And he made a blood covenant with us. And he, and he, on the Last Supper, he said, this is my blood which was shed for you. This is my body that's broken. This is my blood that's going to be shed for you. Jesus was entering in a covenant. He said, I'm going to give you gifts. He sent them the gift of the Holy Spirit. They exchanged. And you've got to understand, we are like Mephibosheth. We may be broken. We may feel unworthy. We may be nobodies. And our offsprings and our families may be in a mess. And we may have kids and grandkids that don't know Jesus. But I'm telling you, there's a covenant that's been made. There's a covenant that's been made by Jesus Christ. Jesus as the, you know, when, when Adam sinned, the seed, every man after that, their seed, their offspring was sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus, the second man, Adam, he come as the representative. He was fully man and he was fully God. Jesus bought back the right to reestablish a covenant with us. And just like everybody after Adam's sin were born into sin, everybody since the new covenant, the new cutting, the, the blood that Jesus shed, because of that, we are all under a new covenant and we can be saved. I'll never forget when my granddaughter was being uh, infant baptism at the time. I didn't understand it too much. We believe in baby dedication. It was at a Presbyterian church. And I, oh, they'd done the sprinkling and uh, the baby dedication or the, the baby baptism. We went out to eat. And I said, I've never understood that. The baby don't know what's going on. 
And he said, uh, it's just a, it's, it is similar to your dedication. But he said, here's what we feel. We tell our parents that we are seed that belong to God. We belong to God. And we tell our offspring from the time that they're born, you belong to God. You belong to God. And one day when they get up to about 12 years old, some you know, age of accountability, whatever that is, one day you're going to get to make a decision for yourself. At this point, your mom and dad made a decision that you belong to God. God gave us that gift of you. And uh, we, we thank you for that. And, uh, but when you get a certain age, you've got to decide for your own self whether you believe that gift, that you are God's, you belong to God. Whether you know it or not today, you may have been your first time here today and you've lived a life that's way, way away from God. I want you to know you still belong to God. He already recognizes you as, as his sons and daughters. You may not recognize it yet, but he recognizes it. And when they brought my Febership in and they set him at the table, he said, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And David said, I know you don't deserve this. I'm not doing this because of you. I'm doing this because of Jonathan and this scar in my hand right now. My friends, the Bible said that Jesus has our names like engraved on his heart. He has, uh, he has a scar in his hand. Jesus has a scar in his hand, and every time that you don't feel like you're worthy, you, you know, we, you, Jesus looks at you, you know, the devil will tell you you're not worthy. You need to start agreeing with the devil and tell the devil he's right. I don't deserve God. I don't deserve eternal life. I, there's nothing good in me. Uh, there's nothing that I deserve this, but because Jesus made a blood covenant, Jesus made a blood covenant, devil, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm going to have eternal life because Jesus made a covenant. It's not whether I live every day perfectly because I won't. I won't and you won't. And so what are you becoming? I don't, I don't know about you. I've heard more sermons in my life. And to be honest, we, uh, I probably hadn't half lived. I've heard more than I've lived, I can tell you that, more than I've been able to live. What is God's will for your life? I'm going to tell you what God's will for your life. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God wants you to be like Jesus. He paid the price. The devil cannot stop you from becoming the image of Jesus Christ. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Well, what is that purpose? What is the purpose? Well, we go, to the, we go back to that previous verse. The purpose is that we become conformed to the image of God. That's the purpose. All things in your life, all things in your life. Some of you have had some really bad things happen in your life. Everything that happens, God can use it to produce the image of his son. David killed a giant. Yes, he did. But 10 years after that, 10 years of hiding in caves, running for his life, all of that was preparing David to be the king. 
And it said even Joseph, before Joseph would be a leader, he was tried and tried and tried for 13 years. And he said, and this is what Psalm says about Joseph, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Yes, as Christians, we'll be tried. We'll be tried. We'll go through, uh, we'll go through valleys. We'll go through all kinds. Of, but God has not left you. God still loves you. And, and God, you, you go, well, I, I fail a lot. God knows it, but he still loves you, and he's still in covenant with you. Here's the thing, and the Bible says when we get to the book of Revelation and this wrapping up of the end time, which I think is very close, he said, and they will, they're going to sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God. How did we get redeemed of God? By the blood Folks, there's none of us going to go to heaven except for the blood of Jesus. The blood covenant that Jesus shed for us is the only way that we're going to go to heaven. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and has made us kings. What's our destiny? We're all going to be kings. If you study this about David, David learned how to forgive. In this story, David had a chance you know, at one time, they were fixing to get David, and a messenger came and said, hey, they're, they're, the Philistines are coming in from another way. And, and right at the time, Saul could have got David. He had to pull off and go defend another area. Was that by half a sense? No, it was not by half a sense. That's the mighty hand of God. God said, nobody's going to touch my king David. And so there was another time that Saul, right after that, he went, and he started going after David again. And he goes, and right when he's right where he knows David is right there in that area, guess what? Saul had to take a leak. <laughs> he had to relieve himself. He goes in a cave. He takes off his part of his garment, and he goes up here like a man will do to take a leak. And when he does, David's in that cave, and his men's in that cave, and it's dark in a cave, and Saul's over here, and, you know, relieving himself. And David goes over there and cuts off a part of the robe. And when Saul goes out, David goes to the edge of the cage and he's kind of still shadowed. And David said, hey, Saul. And David figured, I've run long enough. I've been through enough. And David goes out and he falls on his face before the Lord. And he said, Saul, why are you running after me? Why are you running me down like a dog? Let's have this thing out. If God be for you, he said, I want you to know, I've got the, I could have killed you just a minute ago, but I didn't. You know what? You know when you're really close to God, I, I've said this before, it's not your ability to love Jesus, it's your ability to love even people like Judas. Can we love our enemies? Can we love those that despitefully use us? David could have killed Saul. His men wanted him to kill Saul. And he said, no, I'm not going to touch God's anointing. If I'm on the throne one day, it'll be because God put me there. I'm not going to do anything. To, and, and the only thing that ever broke Saul down, Saul, finally, he realized that. He said, David, you could have killed me. And he said, Saul, I would never touch you. I would never harm you. It'll be up to God to take you out. I'm not going to take you out or somebody else. You don't have to fear me. I'm not, I'm not uh, in competition with you. 
If God wants you to be the king forever, I'm glad just to be David over here. I'll play my harp and I'll try to keep the evil spirits away from you. But I'm going to tell you something, Saul. If God wants me to be king, there is nothing you can do to stop it. And folks, I'm going to tell you, God's calling us to be kings and priests. And the enemy don't like it, but there's nothing he can do about it. If God wants you to be kings and priests, you're going to be the kings and priests. Well, that's all I want to say about that, as Forrest Gump would say. Uh, I want to just kind of wreck the service here now. Friday, me and my wife, I'd like for my wife to come up here and take one of these seats. And she hates this, by the way. And I'll need one of your mics, Bonnie. Or Me and my wife was going to uh, Knoxville. We had to take something to our, our accountant. And uh, Sharon goes, we've been hearing about the Asbury Revival. How many's heard about that? And uh, so we were in Knoxville, and she said, we need, we need to go over there, go to that. And I said, we'll see how far it is. And I found out it was about two and a half hours, three hours from Knoxville. And I said, well, we're a little bit closer since we're in Knoxville than we are. We, we were there. And uh, so we really wasn't dressed for it. Uh, but we just finished there, and we headed up. 75 North, and headed to Wilmore, where Asbury is. And uh, I've never had anything affect me so deep in my spirit as this has. Uh, God is doing something, folks. And what I like to do it's going to be different. I want to show you some clips, and some of these are ones that we've filmed with our few, of, I think one or two of them are what we've done with our own cameras. We drove through snow, uh, flurries, and when we got there, uh, we had to park way down. We really parked in somebody's yard, was hoping our car wouldn't be towed off. This is a little one, one street town. And uh, other cars was pulling in this yard, so we put in this yard, and then we walked until we could get. And we thought that tabernacle area was right up there. We didn't know that first building wasn't it, and the second building wasn't it, and the third building wasn't it. That line was already uh, about a half mile long. We stood in the cold for three and a half hours before we could get in. Uh, Sharon's feet was freezing her so bad she went and got these. This lady had up some plastic bags. She took her little shoe thing off and, and put that bag on. And we literally, there was a black man behind me that was from, drove all the way from Kansas City, Kansas. And he said, uh, we were thinking about going and getting in the car, really. And he said, if uh, people celebrating the Kansas City Chiefs, if they can stand out in the cold all day to welcome the Chiefs home from the Super Bowl. He said, surely I can stand out here in the cold for Jesus. And so uh, I, I got up thinking about that and I uh, kind of got convicted and we stayed in the cold. And uh, I want to show you the, the first video, uh, CBN, I think it is, done a, 
The revival here at Asbury is now in its sixth night as hundreds of people have come from near and far to just enjoy the presence of God. Even though it's almost midnight, this auditorium is still packed with people that are still coming in. two evenings we've estimated well over 3,000 people that are here and at these different locations uh, to worship the Lord. Were you prepared for this? No, there is no, there's no playbook for this. We're still trying to create some space for what's happening here. And so that's a delicate balance and we're trying to manage that as thoughtfully and faithfully as we can and just steward what's happening on campus. skeptical at first just because growing up with my church we never had anything like this and so I just wasn't used to the idea of a revival um, but the longer it's gone on I've realized that if God wants it to happen it's going to happen. My prayer is that this will encourage churches, encourage pastors, encourage disbelievers um, and just stir up a hunger for the Lord because again it's not, it's not about Asbury, it's about Jesus. The fire that started here at Asbury is reportedly spreading as students from nearly two dozen other college campuses have come here to take part in the services. And what God started here a week ago is showing no signs of stopping. Wendy Griffith, CBN News, Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. If it was scheduled, I know a lot of people have thought, like, they've asked us, like, is this, was this planned? Have you guys, like, planned this revival? And we're like, no, this is purely God moving and keeping people here and bringing more and continuing to cross state lines and even across the countries now. It's absolutely insane. But I would say that's how it's different. But um, it's still so special. For over 100 hours, people have filled the rows of Hughes Auditorium at Asbury University to worship. It's referred to now as a revival, but began on Wednesday spontaneously when students felt the urge to stay after the mandatory chapel service. We uh, are unique because three times a week we stop everything that we're doing uh, and gather for a chapel service together. This is just a service that uh, hasn't ended. Since Wednesday, the phenomenon has spread all throughout social media, with churches and other campuses bringing busloads of people to the chapel. Lloyd Nineber had never heard of Asbury before, but after seeing the social media posts, he drove seven hours from North Carolina to see the revival in Wilmore for himself. With what's going on in the world and all the darkness, and this was like light, like the, uh, you know, a light coming through. And so I wanted to see what was going on, see God moving. A revival like this is not uncommon for the university. Back in 1970, a similar revival lasted for two weeks. Hundreds of people from Kentucky, Indiana and Michigan attended a testimony service on the campus of Asbury College in Wilmore. But since then, there has not been an act of worship of this length. Students and community members continue to find peace in dwelling and worshiping in the chapel and say they don't see signs of stopping anytime soon. Like we're just sitting with him and like it's just deeply gentle and like deeply loving. Um, and it's just a glimpse of what I think heaven will, will be like. Allison Perfader and many other students and faculty encourage people to come out to Asbury and see the revival for themselves. If it's for 20 minutes, if it's for a couple hours, if it's for the week, like, 
you can't lose anything, you know? But you can gain like everything. out for revival in our city. We've been learning about revival, but I've never seen it. I didn't even know it was real. I'm like, they're, I'm just sitting in class and they're telling us all these stories on college campuses and then going across the nation. And we're like, where, when is this going to happen? And then they lock you in a prayer room and you're just like, hey, you got to ask for it. And we're just sitting there like, God, I'm asking. What, what does it look like? And then all of a sudden, my friend Jaden says, dude, if Jesus just localized himself and just sat his throne in a room, how could we not drive six and a half hours to go see yeah. And we get here. And we get here, and it was like complete, we get here at like 6 a.m., and it's completely silent. And I'm like, well, um, is this revival, God? And uh, we walk upstairs because we're kind of nervous. We're like kind of shaking already. We didn't get any sleep. Just they're terrible road trip partners. They both fell asleep. I drove most of the way. But besides that, we go upstairs and there's people like sleeping and we're like, so this is revival, God? No. Cool. This, this is awesome. And then chapel starts and immediately we just see people flooding in. And God said, revival isn't hype. It's ordinary people who are hungry. It's ordinary people who are hungry. And he said, Gage, 
I'm gonna need you to go to the altar. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the altar. <laughs> and he's like, go to the altar. And I go to the altar and worship starts. And he's like, this is revival, look left. And I look left and there's this young college woman getting prayed over by an older woman. And he says, look right. And then there's this young guy praying over an older guy. And he says, look behind you. And everyone's just raising their hands. And he said, Gage, this is revival. It isn't hype, it's ordinary people crying out in our generation and I'm here to talk to everybody in this room who is hungry what an honor what an honor it is to be here revival's real it isn't just a story we've heard about it's come and it's not just come here today but it's about to spread out to the nations it's about to spread out to the United States and I'm here to talk to every young person in this room I just gave my life a year and a half ago to Christ, and it has been the greatest thing I have ever done. I left everything, and I'm here to talk to every young person in this room. Forget the job, forget the girl, forget the guy, forget everything. He's worthy, he's worthy, and I'm here. And I'm just saying, oh, it's such an honor. If you don't feel that joy inside of you, I don't know what's going on. It's real. Amen. I love you guys. <laughs> i like for my wife to say a few words, whatever she wants to say about it. First, I, would, I just want to confess that I'm a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> and, uh, and I feel honored and blessed that I had the privilege to walk in, just walk in the building. But in Bible study, uh, in my prayer time this week, I uh, was uh, reading about the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And he was there for 38 years. And he could not put himself in the water because the angels would stir the water and someone would jump in before him and he couldn't do it. But let me tell you something. Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. We don't need the angels to stir the water. Jesus is stirring the water. Huh. We, we can sit back and we can look and not take a part and, or we can say here I am and, and let Jesus do it for us let him stir the water and step in stay right there Jeff I want you to play that other video I just want I just watch this next video and see what you think. Hey, I just wanted to take a second to share my heart. I felt like it was important. Um, so Brian and I drove up today to the Asbury Revival up here in Kentucky. Um, I've just had a pull ever since I heard about it last Thursday. It was, um, I guess, about 24 hours into it, 36 hours into it. And... Um, my heart recognized the movement. My heart recognized, God, you're doing something. <sighs> They're singing How Great Thou Art. They have on violin. Um, so I'm just going to turn the camera around. Right now, I am across from the main chapel, Hughes Memorial Auditorium, which is packed out full of teenagers and young adults. And this whole field in front of it, they have screens set up. And that field is just about full. There's a line 
waiting. They, I've been told it's a four hour wait limit or wait line to go into Hughes. But what's so cool, oh, and there's, and there's like three other sanctuaries open up on campus where they're live streaming it. And so you can go inside um, and participate in the worship. Um, what I thought was so neat is we got in one, we saw a shorter line to get into Hughes and we thought, well, we'll, we'll stand over there. And about that time, they made an announcement that that was the Gen Z line that you had to be 16 to 25 to get to be in that line to get in to Hughes. And y'all, my heart leapt. I started to tear up because I said, oh, thank you for doing this for them. Thank you for keeping the older people in the big line. Thank you for making a short line for the 16 to 25 year olds. And the, the man said, well, they started this. Okay, so this is my take. The presence of God is tangible here. His presence, it, and during worship earlier, it felt like a weighted blanket all over me. The reverence here that people are giving to the move of the Spirit, I think it's interesting too, because you can tell this is a little taste of heaven. Um, so many denominations represented, and I don't know that just because I've talked to them, because I have it. But you can see, like with worship styles even, there's some people that brought flags and they've got flags going around in the back. It's not distracting, it's not. Um, I noticed on the stage in Hughes, on, on the video, um, there's artwork where people could paint while they're worshiping um, and, and paint what's in their heart. And I thought, how beautiful is that? That's no different than the person on the guitar or on, on the piano bringing their gifts to the Lord, um, bringing their art to God as a worship. It's bouncing between periods of just awesome worship. And something I've noticed about every single one of the songs, every song is vertical. Every song goes vertical. Every song is singing directly to God. It's none of this stuff that's, it's not, it's not a Christian entertainment. It is truly like worship. And then there'll be a time where someone will come and give just a few housekeeping announcements, but it, it doesn't break the reverence um, to remind people that we're in a very, very old building and um, just how to care for it. And then they open it up for people uh, to read scripture. But again, it's the 16 to 25 year olds. They say if, if there's any 16 to 25 year olds in here who, who have um, a life verse or something they want to read, we need about 10 of you come over to the side to stand by this pastor. And, and so he, the pastor's holding the mic and young, these young people bring in their, ver, their voices and their verses. This is a movement led by the youth. It's just so pure. It's just so genuine. God is here. And like with any movement of God, there's spectators. There's some spectators hanging out. But you know, I'm reminded that everywhere Jesus went, not everybody recognized him. And isn't it just like Jesus to come in an unexpected way to his people and to show up for the generation that is supposed to be the one with the least amount of hope, the fatherless generation, the one that we've thrown away, the one that's been highest levels of depression and suicide and anxiety they're getting free and it's popping up all over the nation this is genuine when you see teenagers on their faces worshiping God it reminds me of one of the most powerful services I was ever in I was in, I was a teenager 
And um, I was visiting a friend's youth group and I'd been visiting all summer because it was a group of hungry people and I wanted to go where hunger was. And I, it was in another town. I drove to another town for youth group on Wednesday nights. And the youth group kept growing so much that they kicked the grown-ups back out to a, a, a small Sunday school room. And the teenagers got to take over the sanctuary on Wednesday nights. And we were worshiping just our, worshiping our hearts out. I remember just hands raised, jumping and singing. And 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 then there were periods of highs and, and lows and just completely in love with my Jesus. And I opened my eyes and the room was filled with a fog, the glory cloud. And I've seen photos here at Asbury of, of the room looking like, like a glory cloud, like it's, um, Revival will not come how you think it's going to come. And if you try to put it in a box, if you try to do it, ba if you try to participate based on your limited knowledge of what your denomination has taught you, every one of us won't be able to participate because we're human. How can we wrap around, wrap our brain around what God is doing? Don't be those that sit in the seat of the mocker, sit in the seat of the scornful. Be the one whose delight is in the Lord and you are drawn to wherever he's at. And those who are hungry, if you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. The testimonies of teenagers getting up here, they also have a time of testimony. And um, they'll, they'll get up and they'll share about how God has been setting them free from addictions, how they've just gotten out of rehab, how God's healed relationships with their parents. Um, there was a woman who was set free from a demon. God is here and God is moving. And it's not structured, but yet there's no chaos here either. There's no chaos, but there's pure freedom. There's teenagers sitting all over, all over where the choir normally would sit. And they're just sitting and hanging off of the of the um, of the stage. Their legs dangling. They're in their blue jeans. They're in their hoodies. The spirit of God didn't get offended because they showed up in their jeans. The spirit of God didn't leave because they have their hoodies on or their tattoos on. Or He's here for hungry hearts. And I had to come see it for myself. This is what I've prayed for. I remember praying and contending for my generation. And for saying, God, I will see revival. I live for you. You gave all of you for me. I give all of me for you. I am not okay with the status quo. And I'm coming back to my town with, with this in my heart. But every one of us can access his presence just by being hungry. We've tried to do life our own way for so long. We've tried to do church our own way for so long. God's not impressed with our programs. There's no reserved seating in there. There's no perfect lines that people have to sit in. There's teenagers laying in the floor. And the presence of God is there on them. It's truly remarkable. It's tr I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. There's just such a reverence and a hunger. And if anybody tells you this is not real, they have no idea what they're talking about and it's all over our nation. I think I read a list of like, I don't know, 14 different universities and high schools because people are getting a glimpse of what's available and they're gathering with hungry hearts. So I just wanted to share, this is just, this is just amazing. Um, look what God is doing. Uh, seeing all you guys chumming in. He will feed the hungry. Yes, he does. So how about we use this as a teaching time? 
leaders in our churches. If you're a leader in any way, I believe our offense with the teenagers, offense with the youth, because they don't fit in our box and they don't worship the way that we do. They don't talk maybe the way we do. I think we need to repent for that. God doesn't seem to be offended at all. Let's make space for Him. Let's let Him interrupt our structured time frame. Let's keep those altars open. Let's not rush through worship. Let's make it about Him again. Because that's all these teenagers did. They made it about Him. Every one of these songs is vertical. So, I just had to share. How many like being in revival like that? I believe him with all my heart. The Bible said in the last days he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall have visions. Your sons and daughters, they shall prophesy. And God would pour out his spirit like the waters cover the earth. It's kind of amazing. Back in my day, they called our generation the baby boomers and they had Gen X and all these different now we're down to this last category. They call them Generation Z or Gen Z. Some have predicted they're the hardest generation that any church has ever had to try to reach. I really don't believe that. I believe they got yearning hearts. I believe they're hungry for God. They just ain't gonna buy dead church. They're not gonna buy dead church. You can talk about God all you want to. If they don't ever see God do anything, what is, what is in it for them to believe it? And folks, I, I, when we left there, there's another video. Uh, we left there, there was, we walked for a good half mile to get back to our car and there was still people standing in the cold waiting to get in and knowing good and well it's going to take them three or four hours before they could ever get in. By Saturday, I watched another video, somebody I knew, and now there's about, he said there was 10,000 people there. All the buildings that they have available, Baptist Church, Methodist Church, other buildings, facilities are all full, and now they're just standing in the open fields uh, with these big projectors on the field there at Asbury. Uh, this revival is taking place now in uh, Lee University over here in Cleveland. It's, it's, it's really, uh, like they said, 15, 20 locations all the way to Israel. I believe this is the last day's move of God, if you were to ask me personally. Uh, and literally, we were standing in line, and these people come along, and these people that we were standing by, a pastor from North Carolina, his two daughters was there, and they said, if you're 16 to 35, come with me. And the daughter said, yeah. They just take those kids, and they'd, they would come by about every hour or so. And if there was any teenagers in there, they would take those kids. They got to go right into the church. Pretty soon, they were setting up on the stage. They were hanging their legs off. You'd say, well, wouldn't that be distractive? No. You know, I think about Jesus said, you know, don't hinder the little ones to come to me. God's fixing to open the heavens for Gen X, for Gen Z, Generation X, for all of us. And I believe this is the last day's revival. I really do.